Hello and welcome to the Teach Strong Talks podcast. My name's Sam Hart. I'm a primary school teacher who's on a mission to help school staff discover truly effective approaches to well-being. This podcast is all about tapping into the knowledge and experience of real experts who can break down the research and the tools that we can apply to our everyday lives to feel happier and healthier. Today we're joined by Amanda Harrison. Amanda is a secondary school head teacher, as well as being a consultant who works with leaders in education. Now, there's so much I could talk to Amanda about um, today, but the focus for this conversation is a little different. I recently tweeted that I was keen to talk to those in education who have found a particular practice or approach that works for them to improve their well-being. And Amanda got in touch um, and said that she'd be keen to talk about her spiritual journey. This is something that I've become more and more interested in over the past couple of years and perhaps is is not something that's been widely discussed in the education space. So I was, as I said, really keen to talk to her, Amanda, about spirituality as well as her outlook in general on well-being. Now, Amanda talks quite openly about her experiences growing up and the journey she has gone on from childhood to where she is now. It's a story that's truly inspiring. As you tune in in a second, you'll see just how interesting her background is and how impressive her story is as well. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about these early experiences, how they shaped Amanda and what role spirituality plays in her life now and how that impacts her well-being. Enjoy the conversation. So hello, Amanda, and welcome to the Teach Strong Talks podcast. Hello, nice to meet you. You too, yeah, so glad that we um, have got to do this and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you about all things well-being and spirituality as well is, is what we're kind of focusing on today, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. if we start with, I think it'd be great for the listeners to hear a little bit more about what you're doing now. We're going to talk about your background shortly, aren't you? But if we start uh, with what does a, a typical week look like for you at the moment? I'm a head teacher of quite a very large secondary school in in a very socially challenging area. So there is no typical week. <laughs> it's literally seat of your pants every day. Um, the area I'm serving has a high level of deprivation. Uh, we have a high level of um, EAL and SEN. Currently, my working day uh, is 70 hours plus in the week, um, usually more than that recently. And I'm finding the frustration that I know all heads will feel where it's very much operational. We're just beginning now to be able to develop a more strategic approach, but it's just been it's just been very tough, very challenging and difficult. Oh, I, I can't even imagine what, what it's been like of being uh, a head at, of such a large school during this time. And I like the way you without described any it. Training. It's without any training for this because, you know, it, you work your way up from a teacher to a head. You never see this situation happening. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. I think I must have written nine risk assessments in as many weeks. And I, when do you ever expect to have to do that? So, yeah, it's been it's been quite tough. Yeah, so tough. And, yeah, these different expectations and just having to, to learn as you go. And I suppose you've been... Um, 
communicating with other head teachers have you and seeing how they're approaching things and so that is one thing that's I suppose come from this is that togetherness of teachers whether that's on social media or in person or or over video calls and things like that and we've really had to rally around each other haven't we? Yeah and the staff here have been absolutely fabulous I couldn't have asked any more of them so you know really pulled together worked as a team looked after each other and I think that's you know there are benefits that have come out of this um, but I think the repercussions are beginning to be felt now, really, of working at that level of pressure for so long. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And mm-hmm. you can you can see that again on social media, from conversations that I have with with colleagues, people that follow Teach Strong know that family and friends are also teachers as well. We're seeing it all the time. And, and this is why things like the podcast and Teach Strong and the work that you're doing and that many others are doing as well is so important, isn't it? So that we can look after ourselves, look after each other and yeah, all that good stuff. (laughs) So as part of the conversation today what will, what will be kind of relevant I suppose won't it is, is chatting a little bit about your background before we hone in on the, the focus of today's conversation which is a little chat about your well-being and the the role that spirituality plays in your well-being but like I said your your background plays a major role in in this doesn't it so if you'd like to expand on that a little bit more about your background and and the kind of the journey you've been on up until today. Well, um, I've had a very unusual background. Um, and excuse me if you hear any slight knocking. I'm doing this while we're in school. So, you know, life gets in the way, but I'm hoping it'll be okay. But yeah, I've had a very challenging background. Um, I was uh, from a quite abusive and violent family background, um, in and out of care, social service involvement for most of my ad- uh, teenage life. I left school at 16 with no GCSEs. I think I had a CSE, that's that's going back, isn't it? A CSE in needlework. I don't know how I got that because I can't sew at all, but there we go. Um, but it didn't equip me for life. I'd met my husband when I was 15. Um, I'm still married to him 46 years later. Uh, and we ended up in a, in a council flat, top floor of a council flat. We had no money. We were not working. He'd come from uh, quite a impoverished background, so he was sort of clung together in a storm. By the time I was 18, I had uh, my first child and then rapidly had three thereafter. And uh, he was working, doing a bricklaying on a, on a site, and I was going out at night. I was running my own debt collection agency. <laughs> and if you met me, I'm barely five foot, so I'm not at all intimidating. <laughs> but... I think I've got a bit of a gift for the gab and and I did quite well at it. So I did that for a number of years. But then when I got to my 30s, we'd got no money and we'd not had any holidays or anything. And my husband said, we've, we've got to do something to acknowledge that you're 30. You know, it's a milestone birthday. We've got no money, but there must be something. So I said, I've always wanted to know, could I have got a GCSE? I just want to know, am I clever enough? Because I'd always felt as as though I was behind everybody else. My self-esteem was very low and I had no no value or self-worth. So uh, he agreed. And I next week, the following week, I went down to the local college to look at what I could do, if anything, as a night school to try and get one GCSE. And I was absolutely terrified. (laughs) And I was chatting away to the receptionist 
not really knowing what I was going to do. And there was a lady standing at the end of this huge round reception desk and she was staring at me and I was getting more and more hot and thinking, oh my, you know, what are you staring at me for? Eventually she came across and she said, I'm going to make you an offer now that will change your life if you're brave enough to do it. And she said, I'd like you to come into college every day, five days a week from half past nine when you've dropped your children off at school. And I'll let you leave at half past two every day. And at the end of nine months, you'll come out with the equivalent of three A-levels and 10 GCSEs, which from the background I'd had seemed impossible. But I did it. I went. And that happened, amazingly so. And I was still bringing the children up, still working at night. At the end of the 12 months, she said to me, you're a born teacher, you're born to teach. So I'm going to take you for an interview for a PGCE in primary education. Um, and I can remember the day clearly now, it was heavy with snow. She drove me all the way there. She stayed with me. She took me back after. And they offered me a place. But once they'd offered me a place, I got, I got a bit nervous then and thought, it's not really what I want to do. So I declined the offer. And I went for a second interview to do an English and history straight degree. Carried on working, did my degree for three years. I was, and I loved it because it was finally something that was mine and I was fascinated with the learning of it. And then um, at the Easter of my final year, I was about to, I was on track for a first, but I collapsed on Good Friday. Uh, I was on my own in the house with the children, rushed into hospital uh, and was told that I had uh, cancer. I had a tumour that was the size of an eight pound baby and that I needed emergency sur a surgery to save my life. But being stubborn, I wouldn't go down to theatre till I'd done my exams. <laughs> So the university lecturer kindly offered to come and sit in a side ward with me from the Monday to the Thursday. I sat my exams in the hospital and I went down for 10 hour surgery on the Friday. Um, and I thought that was it. I thought I'd blown it. I'd be lucky if I come out with a two, three, but at least I've had a go. On the day that the results came out and they were posted on the notice board, I still wasn't able to walk. So friends of mine took me down in a wheelchair and I knew something wasn't right because I kept they kept getting phone calls about, where is she? How far away are you? And I was thinking, something's not right here. Turned up at the university and um, all the course members and all the staff lined the corridor while I, I was driven through the middle and I'd got my first. And it was just, it was just a life-affirming moment, you know, to be, to come from where I had to where I was. I couldn't believe it. I then went to do a PGCE in Manchester in English, got my first job um, and I was teaching English. And I, the first day I walked in, the head said to me, well, we've got a performing arts group here who haven't had a teacher for two years. I want you to take the group on. They were halfway through year 11 by now. Don't worry about exams. Just stop them from fighting. They fight every week. And I thought, oh, my Lord, I've never taught drama in my life. Don't know what I'm doing. Anyway, took the group on. Amazingly, they all passed with a C. But then they wanted to do performing arts at A-levels. So guess who was roped in and given a TLR as head of performing arts, now take them through A-level. Um, I went from there to become a head of English. 
uh, and then from there to be an assistant head in charge of teaching and learning. And then from there to a deputy post uh, in another school in charge of teaching and learning and curriculum. And I'd been there just over three and a half years. And the local authority approached me about a school that was further down the road that had had a really troubled history. It had been in special measures three times. Um, the head and deputy at the time had moved on and they had a new head coming, but he was coming from Hull into the Welsh system, which was where I was teaching at the time. Um, and of course didn't know it and it was due an inspection any time. So I started there. It was a huge decision to make because if it had gone wrong, my career would have been over. I went there on January the 1st and on January the 7th, the inspection team walked in. And in Wales, with an inspection, you have a nominee, which is a member of the SLT team that sit in with the inspection team all week. And their job is to answer any questions. So I was roped in to be the nominee because I was a trained inspector. Um, not knowing a great deal about the school, but winging it really. Um, the school did go back into special measures as was expected. It came out, it had nine recommendations. That's, that's what the situation was. And I led on all nine. Um, we came out of special measures in 18 months with a good. And I thought I'm going to have a rest now for a couple of years and just be a deputy, which will be lovely. You know, a, and then I got a phone call from um, a headhunting company in England who had a, an academy that had joined a big trust, but the school had had a, a very challenged background. It had had six heads in nine years. It was fall in roll. It had a huge deficit. Um, it served a very challenging community. And I was asked, would I apply? Well, at that point, I hadn't really thought about being a head, but I thought, well, I will just for the interview experience, really and got the headship. So we moved across the border. Um, I did that for five years. By the time I left, we were oversubscribed. We were the school of choice. Uh, we, I put on an advert for a deputy head and had 84 applications and assistant head 114 people were desperate to come and work with us. And we had a really healthy budget. But I knew by that point I was 55 and I knew I wanted to come back to Wales for my final school. It was important to me. And this school came up at the Christmas and I thought, well, I haven't had practice for five years. I best go and have some practice. And, and I was appointed. Um, so I came here. This school has had a troubled history out on strike several times. Um, so it's a very challenging community. We don't have any of that now. It's a fabulous place to be. And again, we've got people desperately wanting to come and work for us. But this, this the COVID and I have some hidden disabilities, which have never stopped me doing anything, but they're beginning to catch up with me a little bit. And I've made the decision that I'm going to retire from headship this summer and look at setting up my own business, uh, consultancy. I'm a level seven executive coach and, and just see what happens. Take a risk. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you did ask. Yeah, I did ask. I did ask. I'm just thinking, of, has Hollywood called or anything yet to, to make a movie? <laughs> I think the, um, we're just, you know, inspirational stories. Uh, well, that word inspirational can, can get thrown around quite easily, but wow, what a background you've had and to, to go from where you started to, to where you are now 
is extremely impressive. Thank you for sharing yeah, I, that story. I very often have to think to myself, where where's that girl at 15 coming out of care? How did I end up here? <laughs> But what a what a positive story to put out there, and you do put it out there, don't you? It's on it's on your website. It's plain for everyone to see. Website. You're yeah. yeah, you're very happy to to, to share um, your experiences of when you were younger, and then and then the challenges you face and and how you've. Well, I think it's out. important because yeah. if I challenge disadvantage and the empowerment of women, which is what I do, then I need to show that I I understand it firsthand, and I understand how it feels to be in that position and to battle against it despite those barriers. So that's why I share it, not because, not for any reason other than that, but just to say to people, I've I've walked it, I know what it feels like. Yeah, which is extremely empowering for, for people to hear others in the same situation to know, well, look, this, this can be done. And like you mm. said, it's extremely important to share. So thank you so much. That's okay. <laughs> so kind of leading on from that, well, I suppose it'd be interesting to to share with the listeners the fact that, well, I posted a tweet, didn't I, where I said um, a kind of an open invitation for people to come onto the podcast. And I said, well, if there's a particular area of well-being that you are interested in, then please get in touch. I'd love to talk to you. And I I mentioned things, you know, if, if, if you have a meditation practice or breath work or yoga or different things like that, which I find really interesting. And so I, I like to share. Um and and you commented saying that you would be up for coming on the podcast to to talk about spirituality and your spiritual journey, and this is something that I have been exploring more recently. Um, you know, I'm in my kind of early thirties, and it's perhaps since my late twenties, early thirties that I've been starting to consider these bigger questions. Um, I'm lucky in that I've met some very interesting people in the kind of the the spiritual space I suppose you could put it um so I've had some fascinating conversations I love reading about it I love watching videos listening to podcasts um it's it's just it completely opens your mind doesn't it when you start mm-hmm. to think about these bigger questions um so I, I was really pleased when you volunteered and when you suggested a topic for our conversation as as well so if we kind of move into that and if we can start to to talk about well well why did you put your hand up and and volunteer to talk about spirituality um anything that you would like to to start off with would be great to hear (laughs) well it's interesting that you say that you're in your 30s and you're beginning to think of those bigger questions that was exactly the age I was uh when I started to look at it um you know, as I've shared, I, I was diagnosed with cancer very quickly and that came out the blue. I didn't see that coming at all. Um, so I began to question really, you know, when you're faced with something like that and you've got three young children and you're just about to get your degree after the, the background I've had, life felt unfair. It was a bit, why me? Why now? And I was angry. And I had a lot of anger built up from when I was a child that hadn't really gone anywhere. It was still sitting there. I was full of um, self-doubt. I felt I had no worth. Um, Huge lack of self-esteem. Always felt that I I wasn't as good as everybody else. Questioned everything that I ever did. And when I had that diagnosis, I started to think about there's got to be something else. It can't just be that we're on this planet and one day a light switches off and that's it, we're gone. That Because what's the point? 
if that's the case, then why on earth are we here? And do we really, does it really matter? So I started to, to read around a lot of it, um, started dropping into different churches and, and just get a feel of it, started to look into other religions. Um, and the more I explored the concept of religion, the more I became calmer and the more I had a reassurance that there must be a greater plan and there must be more to life than just being here today. And then there's nothing. It didn't make sense. Um, and so what I started to look at very much was uh, what, what did spirituality offer me? And if I'm really honest, I don't sit in one camp. I, t I take strands from various places, but I have, and it sounds a bit cheesy, but I have a really strong faith that if we have love and kindness, that's all that really matters. That will get us through anything. And whatever religion you're in, as long as you you live those beliefs and those values, you know what? Life will be all right. So I was toying around with that, more and more going that way. Uh, more of my leadership was very much about kindness, about looking after each other, um, about supporting each other. And I think if you talk to, to the people I've worked with, they would say that's the one thing that I am that is my value more than anything else. But then my mother died six years ago. Very suddenly, we had five weeks warning. Um, she had significant cancer and I nursed her at home. I took some time off work to nurse her. Um, the day she died, there was just me and her in the house. There was nobody else. I'd never seen anybody die. I didn't know what it looked like. I was absolutely terrified. But it was so calm and so peaceful and and leading up to her death we used to you know talk in the early hours of the morning for the whole five weeks about her feelings about life and her feelings about what would come next um and what would the end look like and so we we talked a lot about those really deep things that until you're in that situation we perhaps never do and it made me really think about it and my belief that it's about love and kindness and there has to be more helped her to accept what was happening to her. And I genuinely believe that that was why she was calmer when, when the end did come. And it was we had a lovely few, final few moments together. So I'm of the belief now that when we grieve, we're not grieving for the person because they, they are going to a happier, more contented life or whatever is about, uh, beyond us. We grieve for ourselves and we grieve for what we're missing from them. Um, and that led me then to think, you know, I've had, as I've shared, I've had a really, a really difficult, challenging career and personal life. And when, when mum died, my faith became rocky for quite a while because she was such a key part of, of who I am and, and the journey I'd been on. And being with her, on my own in those final hours of her life did did cause me to wobble, did cause me to think, why her? She was only 70. You know, um, she'd never seen her grandchildren get married. She'd never see her grandson grow up. It's not fair. It's not fair. Um, and I forced myself to start. I was allowing myself to become negative and to focus on the, 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 the things that caused me anxiety. 
And I had to change that because there's no way back if you go so far down. And particularly when you work in a school and you're dealing with that every day, aren't you? You know, learners need you there for them. So I started to force myself to focus on gratitude. What am I grateful for? What can I really think about when I'm struggling that will make me feel better? So since then, every single day, I focus on three things I'm grateful for. Now, they they are really stupid things. So they're things like the robin that was singing his heart out outside my window this morning when I got dressed. Um, Coming into school and my fabulous PA handed me that first cup of coffee in the morning. Thank thank you, Faye. (laughs) And I really believe that that has changed my attitude to well-being and and has calmed me down and allowed me to focus on positivity and the good things. And I do that either driving in in the morning, I might be having a cup of coffee and I've got a few minutes, I do it then. But I make those minutes every single day and just thank whoever for those that, those things that are in my life. And they, they have changed my perspective on things. And my faith, I think, is stronger than it's ever been now. Mm. Oh, so many aspects that um, were so beautifully put by you there, Amanda. Thank you for, again for, for sharing. I was just listening intently to everything that you were saying um, about, <laughs> about that. Um, yeah. I would, I would challenge you to, uh, about the saying that you your the gratitude that you write down or notice are, are stupid things i don't think those are stupid things i think those are the little beautiful things aren't they um about your, yeah i know i know you were just kind of joking around with saying stupid yeah. but it's it's funny isn't it we we take those things for granted and we think they're the small things the daft things oh someone made me a coffee or look at that sunrise yeah. but what else is there the, these are yeah. the incredible moments of our life that every day we can yeah it, it, we if we just flip that switch and, and start appreciating, like you said, that positivity just expands, doesn't it? And yeah. rather than going from a place of, of want and need and um, a lack, um, if we if we flip to a, a mindset of gratitude, then it's look at all that I have already and look at what's about to come to me as well. Look look what I'm going to receive, I'm sure, in, in the future. So I'm really and grateful. we have to actively work on that. Yeah. It's important that... We don't ever say, oh, I didn't get time today. You have to do that because mm. that positive drip every single day just fills your cup up again. Exactly. And and this is what we talk about at Teach Strong a lot is it's these these little actions that we can do daily. And unfortunately, that's not the, the big fancy technolo- technological expensive thing that can be packaged up and sold, is it? You know, yeah. this really expensive I don't know supplement or piece of equipment that you can wear on your wrist whatever it is it's these little things that if we do daily will have a huge impact gratitude is certainly one of those and like you said it's just about making some time because what that takes 30 seconds doesn't it to think about three things that you're grateful for in the morning 30 seconds and you might have completely changed your day it sounds woo woo but it's not woo woo at all is it (laughs) it's not I end up every 30 seconds I will finish those 30 seconds smiling yeah and that puts me in the right frame of mind then for the day yeah certainly definitely um going back to what you talked about how um you know you're not in perhaps one camp of spirituality or religion and talking about that 
um, that kind of loving kindness. And I completely agree. That's that's the thread that runs through all of these religions, isn't it? The Absolutely. kindness to yourself and to others, and thinking about your impact on the on the wider world. If we check the news and if we scroll through social media, we can easily be led to believe that it's this camp versus this camp. Look at all those differences. And actually, we should be focusing on the similarities of which there are a thousand times more, aren't there? Similarities. And we should be focusing on humanity. Who are we as human beings? And what is our purpose in being here? Yeah, absolutely. And the other aspect that you touched upon where was being more open to talking about death and I'm I'm glad you brought that up this is something that I've been trying to think about more um it's it's such a tricky one isn't it because this is something that's swept under the carpet and it's something we, we, don't, we don't talk about I think I read something fairly recently about comparing modern day to I think it was the Victorian times and they were saying that you know in the Victorian times Death, death was everywhere and, and sex was not talked about. It was very hush-hush. And now it's the opposite, isn't it? Sex is everywhere and we don't talk about death. And I thought that was a really it interesting... Be, it might be in your circles. It's certainly not in mine. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No comment. <laughs> no, absolutely. Good, good point. Good point. But um, <laughs> if, um, yeah... D- Death is something that perhaps is not talked about. Well, it's not, is it, um, yeah. in, in friends yeah. and, and family circles? And exactly like you said, it, it can. It's going to happen to all of us. And so often, people wait until till their final few few moments, don't they, to think about these yeah. bigger questions? And well, I suppose it's kind of a um, one of the the stoic outlooks on life is to to think about every day the fact that you are going to die. So what are you going to do today? That um, n- knowing that, what what impact do you want to have each day, and what um, how can you help people around you? How can you help yourself? Um, interesting. It was the saddest five weeks of my life. Yeah, and yet the most privileged five weeks of my life yeah. to nurse my mother and to have those really deep conversations and and to to reaffirm what what our relationship was and and to be there with her in her last moments. Mm. You know, much as it hurts, it hurts me now thinking mm. about it, but I kn- I was blessed and I know she's happy. Mm. So when I talk to her, I don't need to, I do go to a grave, I do tend to a grave, but I've got a, um, a bench in my garden and I just go and sit there and talk to her because she's around me. I know she's here. Yeah. Again, thank you for sharing that because I mean this is what the podcast was supposed to be about, having some more meaningful conversations around bigger questions, um, the the deeper sense of the word well-being, not the kind of the, the fluffy stuff that we talk about sometimes, but actually yeah. let's have some real conversations about well-being and, and talking about these big questions about kindness and about death is, is what this podcast is all about. So, so thank you for sharing that. Um, That's okay. <laughs> you've I mean I suppose you've already covered one of the 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 next question I was going to ask you and that I was going to ask you what role spirituality plays in your life now but I suppose you've you've talked about the fact that um, gratitude is part of your day now is there anything else you'd like to add and if not that's no problem but I think my spirituality keeps me grounded right um it's very very easy to lose to lose perspective you know 
as humans, that's what we do, actually. We react to fear and we react to the worries that we've got. And I think if we can, if we could all just trust that everything happens for a reason and that even if we can't see it at this moment, the reason for it will come about. Um, I have a, I have a thing I say to my girls, I've, I've got two daughters and a son, um, and all through when they've been growing up, I've always said to them, take a deep breath, it will be fine. And my daughter has actually had it tattooed on her arm, <laughs> I will be fine. And she said, she did that for, she had it done for her 30th birthday. Um, and she said, you're always with me, mum, your words are always there. And I know that when I'm starting to panic, because she, she is open to anxiety, when I'm starting to panic, I just look at that and I think it's happened for a reason. It will be fine. Um, and I think that's what, you know, that helps. It's that grounding of I can do this. I can. Yeah. And even at the lowest points, the knowing that it will get better, it will get better. And we've, we, we all go through those deep moments of despair and, and low points. Yeah. And it's easy to say when you're out of those low points, oh, well, things will get better. But it is the case, isn't it? And so even at the, the worst points, if we remind ourselves, if we remind each other, things will get better and take a deep breath. Well, we know now that, well, the research is showing that taking a deep breath is extremely, extremely powerful, something that we could just we say just kind of off the cuff and, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah just take a deep breath, whatever, whatever. But actually, this that is something that can very quickly calm you down, ground you, like you said, and then you can decide what, what's the best course of action to, to take from now. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and that, like you said about being grounded as well with your spirituality and kind of like we mentioned about stoicism, if if every decision, what, what if every decision we were making in school was was comes from a place of when we pause, stop, ground ourselves and 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 think a bit more broader than, well, I just, what's this going to, what impact will this have just by the end of the day or by the end of the week? Well, if we are grounded and we think about the, the whole, the, the bigger picture, how useful would that be and how much more perhaps effective would we be um, when considering Yeah, and that? I think very often as, as leaders, we have lots of decisions thrown at us all day and mm. we make, we've, you know, we're in the job because we make quick decisions. But sometimes when our own emotions bubble over and we perhaps feel frustrated or angry or um, and we know that when we have that conversation with somebody, it has the potential to go the wrong way. Mm. One of the things I, I always practice is I will just say to myself quietly in my head, will this matter next week? If this won't matter next week, then it doesn't matter now and just leave it be. Um, and that helps. And that comes again from everything will be all right. We just need to trust there's a bigger plan. So it stopped me getting into some really, um, really major fights, if you like, <laughs> throughout my life to say that to myself, is this going to matter in a week from now? I love it. And, and that's such a kind of, actionable tip that people can take away from that and it's a, been a really good reminder for me so thank you Amanda that mm -hmm. yeah it's so good to pause and think will this matter tomorrow will this matter next week it works in your private life as well Sam because yeah. after 40 odd years with my husband uh, I regularly say that in my head 
Another good point. Another good point. <laughs> Both professionally and personally, will this matter next week? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and fantastic. Well, brilliant. Um, it, we've kind of covered so much in in a short space of time. Some some really deep and profound um, topics of conversation. Is there, as we start to wrap up, is there any tips you would, you would give to someone who is who is thinking about these bigger questions? Any advice, anything, I don't know, any resources to explore or just anything that you'd like to, to put out there into the world? <laughs> I think we, we, we need to practice changing a mindset. So as human beings, we all want control. We're programmed to want control. So when I do coaching, 99% of the time people will talk to me about fears, anxiety, worries that's consuming their lives. And 99% of the time, they are things that will happen in the future. So they're things like, what if I don't get the promotion I want? What if I give COVID to, to somebody? Um, what if the economy continues to, to go the way it's going and I can't afford to pay my bills? And what happens is they stifle the um, the positive energy in their brains and a chemical reaction takes place. So they focus so much on the what ifs that they lose perspective on where they're at. And I think they, they focus in on what they can't control. Mm. And none of us can control our lives. That's why we hand over to a greater spirit and say, I put myself in your hands. But as humans, we've become almost expectant of being able to control every aspect of our life. Uh, and when I talk to people when they're in that situation, when their well-being is suffering because of that level of lack of control and worry, I say to them, are you all right now? And they'll say, yes, but I'm worried about, no, no, that's not what I asked you. Are you all right now in this moment? Are you all right? Well, well, yes. Are you safe now in this moment? Well, yeah, yeah, I'm safe now in this moment. Can you control the things that you are worrying about? Are they making you feel any happier? No. Then why don't you just focus on the now? When things are hard, you need to say to yourself, am I all right now? Am I safe now? If the answer to one of them is no, yeah, you've got a problem, start worrying. But if the answer is yes, you're all right. And you're worrying about things you can't affect. And that has a massive effect on the chemical reaction that happens in the brain. So what we, ha what we do is we override that with fear and we lose the focus that we need to have. And I say to people, those triggers are what causes you to panic. Once you start to panic, you'll then feel fear, you'll feel anxiety, you'll feel out of control, and that out of control feeling will grow. And that is what actually affects our well-being because then we can't get the perspective we need. So I ask people to constantly say that to themselves. And there's some interesting research being done by some Harvard researchers. They looked into this and they found that um, they tracked a group of 150 people and they talked to them regularly about how they were feeling. And there were people who were struggling with their well-being. And all these people were talking about, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that, I'm worried about this, all things they couldn't control. 
And they followed them for six months. And at the end of the six months, 85% of the things they had worried about never happened. But all of those people had made themselves ill through stress and lack of control for something that was never going to happen to them. So that is one tip I would say to people. When you feel life is rolling out of control and you're panicking and you're allowing those negative fears to take over, stop. And just ask yourself those two questions. Am I, am I all right now? Am I safe now? And if the answer is yes to both, then take a deep breath and keep saying it to yourself until you change that chemical reaction. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I'd say. The second thing I would say is um, there are two ways to invest in yourself and your well-being. One we've talked about already, we've talked about practicing gratitude for a few minutes every day. And that can have and will change your life if you force yourself to do that. Because you don't stop at just noticing those three things. What happens is because you actively practice it, as the day goes on, you notice other things that you are grateful for or that give you a small amount of joy. And it stops you focusing on those negative rushes that we all get which then trigger this feeling of being out of control and what if so by actively practicing those three those those few moments of three things of gratitude over time you will change the way that your your brain works and then the third tip i would give we will invest in um a really nice expensive meal that will make us feel good for about an hour and then we'll have tummy ache and we won't sleep properly and usually we'll have too much to drink and we'll have a hangover the next day. Or a a nice bag, a designer bag that gives us joy for perhaps a couple of hours. What we don't invest in is time to clear and get some clarity of our thinking. So I would say to anybody who's in a high-pressure job and is struggling with their well-being, Invest in some hours of coaching Mm -hmm. because what it will do, it will help you to prioritize what's important. It will help you to set the goals, clarify your thinking and clear away that white noise and learn to understand yourself and your reactions better. And that will last you a lot longer than one night of having a nice meal. (laughs) Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Some three extremely powerful tips there. Um, fantastic. The, the, the first one you, you talked about was it's kind of the essence of, of mindfulness, that, isn't it? The, the not looking back at the past, not worrying about a future that hasn't happened. All we've got is this present moment, so, so let's enjoy it. And I think some people, perhaps, and, and me, five, six, seven years ago, I might have heard that and said, well, that's not very practical, is it? If you're if you're not thinking about the future, then you can't prepare and you can't, um, I don't know, push yourself to, to towards your goals. And it's not about that, is it? It's, no. it's about uh, not worrying a, not worrying about a future that is kind of catastrophizing in, in your head or you're ruminating over thoughts of um, things that have happened in the past. And so it's not about being, it's not, being not impractical it's it's just being in the moment and thinking yes you might well have future plans that you need to work towards and and you can do that at the same time as being mindful and grounded in the present moment 
Absolutely. It's it's healthy to be looking to the future and mm. goal setting mm. and breaking down strategies for how you're going to do that. What is not healthy is living in the fear of what ifs mm. and worrying about what if I can't do that? What if I can do that? That negativity is what you need to strip away because that will prevent you reaching those goals that you want for the future. So what I'm trying to say is take a step back away from that fear, deal with the now calm your mind and then think rationally about, okay, what do I need to do? And don't be afraid. Don't, as you say, don't catastrophize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going back to stoicism, it reminds me of that Seneca quote. I think, I believe he said, we suffer more in imagination than reality. And yeah. how amazing is it that over 2000 years ago, that was said. And then, like you said, yeah. a, a study from Harvard University shows that that is exactly what is happening 85% of the time. These things that we're worrying about might happen don't actually come into fruition. So all those people had six months of feeling unhappy and stressed and fearful and worried over something that was never going to happen to them. Yeah, I think that's so sad that six months is wasted. You know, we talked about my mum. You never know. None of us ever know when that moment is coming. Mm. So every morning we get up, we should be grateful for today, Mm. not live it in fear. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I I honed back in on that one tip because I just, I I really liked it. But the the other two tips that you offered were were brilliant as well. Um, That thread of gratitude and and a a fantastic point about um, investing in yourself, investing in coaching. a really important message like you said we can spend a couple of hundred quid on a on a spa day or something can't we and imagine how far that money could stretch with 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 paying for someone like yourself to um have some one-on-one coaching it's it's a really good point thank you <laughs> so we've we've covered those three tips to thrive as i like to call them so the one of the final questions I've got for you um that i like to ask every guest at the end of the episode is What's that one lesson that you wish you had been taught as a child? Um, I think it is, you are enough as you are. You are good enough as you are. So focus on the positive, not the negative. Because for many years, I consumed myself with what wasn't right about me, what wasn't good about me. Mm. Um, And made my own self-prophecies of where I would end up and how I would be. And if I'd have said to that 15-year-old girl, one day you'll be sitting in this chair doing the job that you're doing with with the exciting opportunities coming in front of you now, she would never have believed me because she never felt enough. Mm. Um, And I think that would have been an important thing to say to her. Love it. A lot of love for that. Yes, yes, you are enough. And then see where that takes you. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Amanda, for offering me your time this afternoon. It's been a real pleasure to to talk to you. I, I think, as I said before, we've we've covered some really deep topics and some some very sad topics as well. But um, I think we've we've just had a, a, a great conversation. I've enjoyed talking to you, and your laugh makes me laugh as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite infectious. <laughs> so thank you for your time. Um, if people want to connect with you, uh, how can they do that? Uh, website, social media, anything you'd like to 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 share? 
Um, well, I've just started dipping my toe in, or literally uh, from the 1st of January. My daughter gave me the kick I needed, really, and said, <laughs> right, come on, Mom, we're going to get organised here. So um, I have a website, aharrisonconsultancy.com. Uh, if you can't remember that, if you go on to Twitter, my handle is at Mamanda Harrison. So Amanda Harrison, but with an M in the front. And there is a link to my website there. Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn as well as Amanda Harrison. I'm sure if you look hard enough, you'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Well, it's been a pleasure, Amanda. Thank you again for your time. And I look forward to connecting again soon. I've really enjoyed chatting. Wish you all the very best. Thank you. Thank you. See ya. Take care. <laughs> so again, a big thank you to Amanda Harrison for offering us her time this afternoon. It was really great to chat to her. Um, I'm sure you'll agree that it was a fascinating conversation. We covered some some very difficult themes, some tough themes. Um, but as we mentioned multiple times during our conversation, it's, it's so important to talk about these things openly, isn't it? Um, and how sharing our stories can be such a source of inspiration for others. So I hope it's provided you with some inspiration. I hope it's provided you with some ideas to take away. I think Amanda shared lots of really great um, approaches to well-being, things we can think about doing uh, every day that don't take long, but actually can have a real and true impact and that's what this podcast is is all about having those deeper conversations about what really works when it comes to well-being if you did find the conversation useful it would mean so much to me if you shared with friends family and colleagues who work in education and of course if you can hit like on wherever you listen to the podcast if you can share the episode if you can follow the teach strong talks show then that would be an added bonus as well thank you for tuning in and i look forward to connecting with you again soon